name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Our Lord Jesus has seen fit to pack so much into this one line. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. In the first place, our Lord is teaching us that the entire posture of our lives is to be watching and waiting in eager expectation for His coming. Our hearts and minds ever and always rightly oriented towards Jesus, anxiously anticipating that He may well come this very day. And when He does not, we wake up the next, make the sign of the cross, and say, He may come this very day. This Jesus we wait for is He who so loves us that He took on our flesh to bear our sin and be our Savior, to do for us that act of unfathomable and profound grace where He takes upon all our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world such that He becomes the sinner, the only sinner and dies his death on the cross to put away sins forever, that you and I might live each day forgiven and free, standing right and righteous before God, God who so loves us, he does not reckon or count our sins against us. He has put them away forever in his son Jesus. It is this Lord and Jesus for whom we wait. It is this Lord and Jesus and our waiting for Him that orients and orders our entire lives as Christians. Because if we're not waiting for Jesus, if we're not watching for Jesus, we'll be waiting and watching for other things and for other saviors. Indeed, our daily lives will become distorted. There's something fundamental here to our mental and spiritual health, something fundamental to who we are as Christians and as human beings. We are meant for God. And when we are not looking for God in Christ Jesus, then all things become distorted and wrong. People are literally, in this day and age, instead of waiting for God, instead of waiting for Jesus, watching and waiting and living for something so trivial as the next episode of a show. Something so trivial and pointless as the next electronic gadget. Something so trivial that they're waiting for the next social event. Well, maybe not anymore. Remember those? (laughs) The next vacation. And perhaps even more deeply, As we've seen this past week and the months leading up to, I guess now, election week, we've seen people watching and waiting and living for some kind of social policy or law or politician or president who will solve all of our problems. Whether it be Trump or Biden, that's who they are waiting for. That's who they are watching for. Now, we can care and care deeply about the things of this world, but we must acknowledge that they are just that, of this world. And the one we are watching for and waiting for is the true and only Savior who comes from heaven to earth. 
He alone can solve our problems. He alone can make all things right. It's true, too, isn't it, that even when we become jaded with all things out there, we find ourselves waiting and watching for things internal to us and to our families, waiting and watching for that promotion at work, one more step up the corporate ladder, waiting and watching for our kids to grow up a little faster so we can have the house back to ourselves. Waiting and watching for that time when the budget finally meets its mark and we're able to do that improvement we've been waiting for. Waiting and watching for retirement. Because after all, God designed the human being to simply sit in a lazy chair for the rest of his days. No, we rightly recognize these things as idols. Things that promise us hope and fulfillment, but then don't deliver. So our Lord instructs us graciously to wait only for him. Again, if we're not waiting for Jesus, everything else gets distorted. We Christians are meant to daily remember that our Lord is coming. And that does two things simultaneously. In the first place, our waiting for him humbles us. In the second place, it gives us deepest joy. In the first place, it humbles us because we are forced to admit that we don't even know the day or hour. Something so important, so fundamental, so foundational, we don't even have a clue when it's going to come. And in this we realize, too, our complete lack of control. If we can't control our knowledge of such an important and foundational thing as that, then what else can we control? Not much. Not much. We are humbled to realize our smallness, our total dependence, and precisely our position as the children of God, our Heavenly Father. He must fix all things. He must set all things right. And he's going to do it completely without us or our input. He, in the meantime, gives our lives purpose and meaning. And he already knows precisely when he will send his son. So this teaching humbles us, but it also gives us profound and deepest joy. Because it is our Savior who is coming. I love Paul's meditation. Who is going to judge us? The very one who died for us. Who is going to accuse us of our sins? The very one who's put in place to our Lord Jesus is the very one who bore our sins and died for them to take them away from us forever. What fear do we have at the end of all things? What fear do we have at our Lord Jesus coming? No fear at all. Rejoicing. Great joy for our Savior comes. The darkness of this life gives way to the light of the wedding feast. The boring, drab, dry water of this life gives way to the wine of forgiveness and salvation. The bridegroom will come and finally and forever make all things right. So watch for him. And that's what I've titled this homily very simply. Watch for him. Prepare for him. Live for him. Be humbled by him. Rejoice in his coming.
And that is precisely the point of the parable that Jesus tells about the ten virgins. We don't know a whole lot about how weddings worked at that time, but we know enough to at least get the basics. The bridegroom is headed off either across town to another village with a group of family and friends, his best men, if you will, his groomsmen, and they're having a probably a pretty rowdy and rambunctious makeshift parade on the way to the bride's house. They swoop in, they pick up the bride, and with the bride, the rest of her wedding party, and they all proceed and parade back to the bridegroom's house for the great wedding feast. Well, we're told by Jesus there are ten virgins, ten young girls, presumably of the bridal party, who are waiting for this parade to finally come. But as you might imagine, if there's a little bit of wine flowing and celebrations get carried away, there is a delay. The bridegroom is delayed until midnight, and in the meantime, these poor young women fall asleep. And as they fall asleep, their lamps go out. At midnight comes the cry, the bridegroom is here, get up and come out to him. When they rise, they all see that their lamps are out, they go to trim them and light them, but five of the young women realize that they've brought no additional oil. They're out. And they say to the five others, could you please share with us? The problem with sharing is if they share, not only will their lamps go out, I, I mean, not, if, if they share, everyone's lamp's going to go out. That's the problem. All ten of them are going to lose their lamps, and it's going to be a sign of disrespect to the bridegroom. They're not willing to do this, so they say, off you go, go buy your own. And so they do. In the meantime, the party goes with the bridegroom into the home. The door is shut. The five come and knock on the door and cry out, Lord, Lord, let us in. And he responds, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. In this teaching of Jesus, it's a warning precisely to those of us who are in the church. Those of us who are in the church are these ten virgins. But only some of us are prepared, and some of us aren't. And so Jesus preaches this sermon as a warning to those of us who aren't prepared that we might be prepared, that the fate of the foolish virgins would not happen to any person here. That's precisely Jesus' point in preaching this way. He wants us to be prepared, and to be prepared means to watch for his coming. Now, so often the emphasis is put on oil. But fascinatingly, Jesus doesn't begin with those who have oil and those who do not. He begins with something more foundational. There are ten virgins, and five of them are wise, and five of them are foolish. It's not that five virgins forget the oil and are thus foolish. It's that they're foolish and thus forget the oil. You see the difference? We are in the very first part of Matthew chapter 25. At the end of Matthew 25, and I think two weeks from now, you'll hear a text much like this. Remember where Jesus takes the sheep and the goats and separates them? And then he talks about all the good things 
that the sheep on his right hand did and all the bad things that the goats on, the, on his left hand did. But the key to understanding this teaching of Jesus is that before there's any mention of good works or sins, there is the separation between the sheep and the goats. This parable of Jesus is exactly the same. Before there's any discussion of having oil or not having oil, a distinction is made between the wise and the foolish, the believers and the unbelievers. I'm reminded with this text of Psalm 90. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. We gain a heart of wisdom by understanding our mortality. In the parable's terms, we gain a heart of wisdom by waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. Realizing that there is an end to our lives, realizing that there is an end to the world, is precisely what sobers us, what undistorts our distorted perception, what fills us with the wisdom to look for and cling to Christ. If we're not watching for Jesus, everything becomes distorted, so we must watch for him. If we're not watching for him, if we're not anticipating the end of our lives and the end of the world, even on a daily basis, then our faith is going to become an empty shell without form or with the form but without the substance. Our faith will become complacent and lazy, disconnected from reality or any sense of urgency. Our lives will no longer be lived each day for Jesus, but only for ourselves and for the passing things of this world. We will have lamps, but no oil. The appearance of being Christians, and yet we will not be. And the bridegroom, who we imagined in our proud and simultaneously fragile hearts, turns out not to be the one we think he is. Lord, Lord, open to us, we demand. To which he responds, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, dear virgins in the parable that Jesus tells, may this never be our experience. May we be wise. May we watch for his coming. May we fill our flasks with oil. May we repent and confess our sins and be filled with the oil of his absolution, the oil of his forgiveness, one for us once and for all on the cross. His forgiveness pours forth from the font, from the sinful pastor's lips, and from the altar. His forgiveness flows forth like oil to fill your lamps and flasks so that you have all you need, not only for this day, but until the very end. So my fellow virgins in Christ, do not be discouraged. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Not by the darkness that is all around us, nor even by the bridegroom's delay. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And our bridegroom is surely coming. The darkness of the night will give way to the brightness of the wedding feast.
forgiveness and healing and eternal joys will flow forth like wine. So let us watch for him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.